Good morning, church. How are you today? Well, that's more convincing than yesterday's uh, congregation. That's very good. But I thought maybe this morning we can play a little bit, a little bit of icebreaker. We have some guests here. So can, can we ask everybody to raise up your right hand? Alright, put your right hand in your pocket. Turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor. And smile. And then do this. God loves you. <laughs> Today we want to talk about love. <laughs> and one of the ways you can love is really to start inviting friends to the moonlight over Queenstown. Now, uh, recently my wife has been bringing my shoe for, to a cobbler for repair because the sole came out. But when the cobbler was repairing, uh, my wife was asking me, you know, much later, he said, hey, we should invite this Uncle to the moonlight over Queenstown. In fact, we were thinking of getting more tickets uh, to invite some of the aunties that I used to exercise with because now, you know, the stadium is under repair. So I have to visit them and bring the ticket to them. So we are ordering some. I hope you are ordering some for your friends, not just for yourself. How many of you have already ordered the tickets online? Raise your hand. Okay, many of you have not. Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, you must buy three. Now, why three? One for yourself, uh, one for, you know, two for your friends. Yesterday, I said ten. Uh, my mother-in-law said ten, very expensive, you know. <laughs> so, buy this three, fill this whole hall, enjoy music together, and also let your friends have a chance to actually come to church. It's not an evangelistic event, it's a pre-evangelistic event, and they can actually step into church for the very first time. Now, today, I want to continue the Grounded series that our senior pastor has started and was very good. In fact, enjoyed the last three sermons uh, that he has preached. So enjoyable was the sermon that I wanted to ask him to take over today's sermon. <laughs> but last week we saw how tired he was, so I, I felt a little bit bad. Lah. In fact, over the few weeks when he was preparing the sermon, he told me this. He said, hey Chris, I finished 15 books. And I said, wow. And he, he let me see all the books that he was reading. Ah. I think I was trying to tell him, I'm trying to finish the 15 pages of the book that you tried to ask me to read. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, every time he preached a message, I thought it would be good for us not just to think of it theologically or theoretically, but to have some action plan for us to apply. So in the first message, he talked about grounded in the Word and the Spirit to start your Bible reading plan. Have you started already? While in my own quiet time, I'm trying to read a bit more to get myself grounded in the Word more, grounded in the Spirit. And then last week, of course, we he talked about grounded in good works. And uh, Pastor Titus and myself has the privilege over the couple of weeks to visit someone in the hospital to pass some walking stick to them. And it was good for us to actually extend this hospitality to this person. But in the second installment, it was a bit hard to look for application because it's grounded in suffering, grounded in the cross. But then in a recent wedding, uh, I heard a story shared by Reverend Joseph Yu. He said this about this story of a dying wife. And this dying wife was calling out to the husband and say, Dear, can you come over? And of course, the husband go over and he said, After I died, one month later, I want you to marry Miss Susan. Huh? Why marry Miss Susan? The husband said. I thought you hated her. She's your enemy, isn't it? Why do you want me to marry her? And then the wife said, Because I wanted her to have a taste of all the years of suffering I've been through. <laughs> so I, I do not know. Maybe as I was talking about this, I'm thinking maybe my wife looked at me and said, Yeah, you have to be grounded in the cross because she has to carry the cross daily. Now, love and suffering can sometimes be seen together, isn't it? Someone says that true love is when you love until it hurts. I don't know whether that's true for you. But I believe Paul, when he wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, he said this. Paul says, Christ's love, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Now there's a motivation that comes from love. This morning, my, my daughter woke up very early, much earlier than normal school days. And she's actually preparing for O-level, but she did not wake up to study for O-level. She wake up to go and feed a cat somewhere else. <laughs> That's 
the love and compassion that is coming from her. Some of you parents, you are waking up in the morning because you love your children. So you woke up early to prepare breakfast for them. There is a motivation of love that drives you to do something that you may not otherwise do. And Paul says that for us, the motivation must be love. So today, I want to talk about grounded in love. But the definition of love has been misunderstood and misconstrued. Sometimes we use the word love in different ways. I love you, I love apples, I love donut, I love the dog. We use the same word love and it seems like the word love has been devalued based on the context that we used. And I, I, I went to the internet and I look at some of the definitions, but there's a group of definitions that was given by a group of children and I thought it was very interesting. Because there was these professional people that posed this question to a group of four to eight years old. And they asked the children this question, what does love mean to you? And Christy, at the age of six, said this, love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give any of theirs. Terry, age four, says, love is what makes you smile when you are tired. Danny, age seven, says, Love is when my mummy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. Nika, age six, says this, If you want to love better, you should start with a friend whom you hate. Wow, we need a lot of Nika in our church. <laughs> Tommy, age six, says this, Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. And finally, the story continues with this little uh, narrative. It said there was a four-year-old child who had a next-door neighbor, an elderly gentleman who had recently lost his wife. Upon seeing the man cry, the little boy, the four-year-old, went into the old gentleman's yard and climbed onto his lap and just sat there. When his mother asked what he had said to the neighbor, the little boy said, nothing, I just helped him cry. And I thought this definition does give us a little aspect of God's love, isn't it? The kind of love that we would want to experience and we want others to experience. But however, as I look through the internet, I've also seen other statements like, love is love. While the children's answers seem to be expressing something beautiful, society seems to push it to be somewhat confusing. The phrase love is love has taken a very confusing meaning. It, to me, it seems to suggest that love has no more boundaries. Love can be lustful and can be selfish. Love does not care about what others think. Love has no, no bearing on God's truth anymore. And so, when we begin to think about love, we cannot think about love from our perspective, from our own definition. And so let's turn our attention to the letter that Apostle Paul wrote to the church. In fact, the word love appears 57 times in the Gospel of John, more often than any other Gospels put together. And additionally, in the letters, the first letter of, first epistle of John, 1 John, it appears 46 times. So John wrote this letter to show how God's love is not just a fuzzy feeling, but something to be demonstrated and experienced in the person of Jesus Christ. So together, I would like us to read just a few verses loud and clear. First John 4, verses 7 to 12. Verse 7, together go. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. 
if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Let's pray. Father, teach us to love. Help us to understand your love so much that it will be overflowing out of us. And as I share your word, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So as we read through just a few verses, we are reminded that the definition of love comes from God because it says here that God is love in verse 7. So the first thing I think that the passage is reminding us is that the nature of God is love. Turn to your neighbor and say this, the nature of God is love. God is love and love comes from God. The Bible makes it clear that He isn't just loving. He is the very definition of love. He is the embodiment of love. Just like when we say God is life, He is full of life. He did not just give life, He is life itself. God is light. When light comes in, darkness disappears. God is truth. In Him there's no falsehood. And when we say God is love, He exhibits love. And that's when we need to align our definition of love towards Him. Why do we say God is love? I think the first thing is seen in God as His as a, a trinity, as a community, which actually expresses the evidence of love. When we look at the trinity, we see that God is a community of three persons, where love is the binding force and unity is the one holding them together. Love is the very source of the being of God. Now, when you talk about the trinity, we always say, you know, you cannot explain this, just accept this. Because when you try to explain it, it seems very confusing. Three persons, but yet one God. But in that union of the Trinity, we begin to see love. Because only in community can love be expressed. So St. Augustine wrote this, If you see the Trinity, you will see love. You see the Trinity if you see love. According to him, the Father is the lover, the Son is the loved one, and the Holy Spirit is the personification of the very act of loving. This means we can understand something of the mystery of the Holy Trinity more readily with the heart more than with the mind. Because from this, we understand the attribute of love. 1 Corinthians 13 describes what love is. Paul defines love as patient, kind, it is not envious or boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And so, friends, this morning we are reminded that we cannot take the definition that comes from the society. And sometimes, of course, not just from children. But while children express us a little bit of God's love, we must all align our definition back to God. Because God is love. And because of that, we also understand that God has never changed in His attribute. Meaning to say that He has been loved in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. You know, when I was younger uh, and... I was reading the Bible, the people always tell me, the Old Testament is a God of wrath. So only in the New Testament you see a God of love. But actually it's not true, because just now, even as Pastor Daniel Tew was speaking out some of this passage, praying over us, it was from the Old Testament passage about God's love. And so, I think it is important for us to be reminded. I'm going to take you through some passages from the Old Testament to remind us that actually God is love. Even in the Old Testament, He did not change His attribute or character suddenly. So, if you would, can you turn to Nehemiah 9? Now, Nehemiah 9 was in the context where the people were confessing their sin. The Israelites separate themselves from other people living there and confess their sins and disobedience. This is when they have already finished building the wall. And they were repenting for the sins of their forefathers. And then 
in this verse, it says, when Nehemiah prayed out this prayer, for God, you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and together abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. So Nehemiah was clear that God has this steadfast love, abounding in love. Jeremiah 31, 3, it says that the Lord appeared to him from far away and says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, a love that is everlasting, that keeps going. Therefore, I've continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Now, at this point, I would like to ask you, why would God actually refer to Israel as virgin? Because in my understanding, in my own reading, I've seen many times that Israel was referred to as a harlot, a prostitute, because they have sinned against God, they have been idolatrous. But over here, we see how God was restoring the nation, calling Israel virgin. This is the character of God. It's His initiative to restore, to rebuild, to make clean, to make pure. This is God. And let's turn to Jonah. And many of us are familiar with the story of Jonah. Jonah's fear and pride caused him to run away from God. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because this Assyrian, he knew, is going to come and overtake Israel one day and they are Israel enemies. And so he didn't want to go there. And in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, he says this. Jonah said to God, That is why I made haste to flee the Tashis. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in, together, steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So what happened was this. Jonah, as we know, was swallowed by the wheel, spit out back into Nineveh. He, instead of preaching good news, he preached bad news. Judgment is coming. And he was sitting at a place thinking what would happen. And God forgave the people. He was so upset. In chapter 4, it was repeated that Jonah was angry. Three times it was mentioned in this chapter, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And the Lord asked Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah said, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. <laughs> now, in my reading, I did not see God was angry. God was so angry that He wanted to put judgment. And I sometimes think that we are the ones that are very angry. <laughs> sometimes it happens to us because it is not getting angry. We are the ones getting angry on behalf of God. We seem to carry this vicarious anger for God. We, we know that God, you are very gracious, you are very compassionate, but I'm not. And then when we are doing ministry, people tell us, you must be more Christ-like. Say, but I'm not Christ. I'm not God. I'm myself. And we seem to somehow misrepresent God's character. God is love. And then we kind of say, but I'm not. You know, when I was a youth pastor, I have all this... Uh, different kind of youth coming into our ministry. And I serve different generation of people. But somehow or another, uh, I, I have this extra patience and grace towards young people. I do not know why, but young people, but other people, maybe I'm not so patient, but young people I am. And uh, there was this few incidents where some of these young people would be very nasty. Right, some of them would actually put on Facebook. Uh, they will scold me, call me my name. No, I I've not read them on Facebook, but people would, you know, take a copy of it and send to me and say, you know, they are saying nasty things about you, and my family will got to know, will get to know about it, and and these people, you know, young people are like that. Uh, they scold you one day, then they will ask you for help another day. Then they will be nasty to you, and then they'll come to you and say, yeah, Pastor Chris, how are you? <laughs> thinking that you didn't read anything, right? So I read all this, and my family read all this, and they got really upset. And I, I remember there was this young lady, she's no longer in church, but uh, she, she was really scolding me because I was helping someone else. <laughs> and she was scolding me, and then one month later, she would text me and say, Pastor Chris, can you help me fill up this survey? Or Pastor Chris, can you come and help me with this? <laughs> and when my family members, 
you know, saw the need and say, huh, you still respond? Ah? They say, yeah, lah, because they are young. Lah. So never mind, it's okay. I think we need to really pastor them. And somehow or another, the family members will get upset with me. Why? Because I'm no longer upset with her. Have you gone through this experience whereby you are upset with someone but actually this someone is really your spouse, your family members. You're upset with them, not because they make you angry, because you're, you think that they are supposed to be angry with that person. <laughs> so this is called vicarious anger. You carry, you know, you carry the anger over someone else. And sometimes when we are ministers, when we are leaders, we, we want to serve God and you have all these members who are not listening to you and you got so impatient, right? How come you still haven't buy the tickets? How come, you know, the moonlight over Queenstown still has so many tickets left. And then, unconsciously, you will carry this anger that may not be fully representing of God's character. You understand what I'm trying to say? And today, we need to remind ourselves, let's not misrepresent God. And Jonah was angry, but God was merciful. God was telling Jonah that there are so many people there that do not know their right hand from their left. And for us, we need to remind ourselves that we need to understand God's love a lot more. Now you think of the Pharisees, they themselves who are teachers of the law, they are the ones that teach the law. They did not understand God as love. Remember the woman who was caught in adultery, she was brought to Jesus and they said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone, stone such women. So what do you say? They bring her out to test Jesus. And then much later, you see that everybody decided to leave because Jesus said, Who, whoever that has not sinned cast the first stone. And then Jesus said this, Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. Sin no more. And so when we begin to understand God as love, we begin to comprehend something more about the character of God that is everlasting, that is abounding in love. And we need to capture this definition. And number two, we need to understand the manifestation of God's love is Christ. The nature of God is love, but the manifestation of God's love is together Christ. It's Jesus Christ. He is the manifestation of God's love in and through us. And in 1 John 4, 9, the passage that we have read together, in verse 9 it says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And here we get a glimpse of the incarnation of Christ. John 1 talks about how He came and dwelt among us. In the original language, it's almost like He pitched His tent among us. And it's, it's Him coming, the, the King of Kings, the one who is full of God, did not consider Himself equality with God, did not cling on to the throne of heaven, but came down. It was like uh, one of the experiences I had when God reminded me of His incarnation. How many of you have pets at home? Dogs, cats, right? Not, not many here. Uh, yesterday, there were a lot more. Now, I don't really have a lot of pets, but I used to have a goldfish. And this goldfish, I really love this goldfish. I call this goldfish Big Eyes. And it was really small and it stayed alive for a long time because I used to have other fish like the molly fish, but they all died because they all jump out of the tank. You know, I have 15, then it become 10, it become 5. And I, when they jump out of the tank, I didn't know where all these fish went to. Until one day when I do house cleaning, right? I realized that they jumped out of the tank into a gap between the wall and the cabinet. So I opened up the cabinet, I saw all these dead fish huh, dried up on the wall. So I decided, don't buy molly fish, buy goldfish. And this goldfish, every now and then when I feed the goldfish, it will come near to me and I will... Like, it's very th therapeutic to feed the goldfish. It's almost like I have this relationship with this goldfish. I talk to this goldfish, hey, how are you? And the goldfish will come near, almost like, you know, having a conversation with me. But actually, the goldfish just opened the mouth wanting to eat more. <laughs> it grew really fat. 
And one day when I was feeding, I had this thought in mind and, and I felt like it was almost God asking me, wow, you love this goldfish so much, do you want to become a goldfish and stay with the goldfish? <laughs> and immediately, my thought was like, no way, God, you know, I want to sleep with my eyelid closed. <laughs> I want my bedroom and my toilet to be separated because the goldfish toilet and the bedroom same. Huh? <laughs> Whatever they eat and poo huh, is the same place. <laughs> And so I thought about this, and I was joking, I was laughing to myself, and, and it's almost have a, having an internal conversation, and I was walking away, I said, you know, I would never, as much as I love the goldfish so much, I would never want to become a goldfish. And then it, it dawned upon me that, that God reminded me, I became that goldfish. I, I, I became man. I, I come and dwelt among you. I come and be with you and be one of you, so that you understand what love is all about. And so, friends, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, would humble himself and come as a human being born in a manger. How can we not say that God, God loves us? He loves us so much that in verse 10, in 1 John 4, 10, it says this. John continued in his letter to remind the church, to remind Christians, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That in the crucifixion, there was the atonement of Christ where, I mean, many scholars will say that, you know, He turned God's wrath away from us. He appeased. Christ's death appeased. God the Father, but I think it is more than that because it is through that crucifixion that we enter into a covenantal relationship with God. How much more should I convince you that God loves you? I remember uh, an illustration of a young girl asking the mom, Mom, how much does God love me? Is it like this? Mommy said, no. And then the the young daughter said, is it like this? He said, no. Then the mother stretched out the hands. He said, it is like this. It is on the cross that we fully appreciate and understand what God has done for us. And friends, today as we pause for a moment, let us be fully convinced that Jesus Christ is the manifestation of God's love for you and I. In the incarnation, in the crucifixion, in the resurrection, in the ascension. When you know how much God is in love with you, then you can only live your life radiating that love. That's what Mother Teresa said. When you know how much God loves you, then you will know how you can love others. I do not know whether this morning there are some people who are struggling with the love of God. Maybe you are saying, I know that God loves him. I know that God loves her. But I'm doubtful that God loves me today. Let you not have any more doubt that God loves you very much. When I was younger, I went through the experience doubting that God loves me because in my environment, in my situation, when I was in, I came from a broken family. And when my father got a stroke at 40-something years old, there was no finance coming into my family. We were struggling. I was having problems with my own grandmother at the age of 17, almost wanting to kill her with a knife. And then in school, I was going through a breakup with my ex-girlfriend, my first girlfriend. And to me, at that point of time, in my growing up years with all these emotions searching, I was questioning whether there is a God who truly loves me. And now I want to declare to all of you that I am well aware that God loves me. Not because of what I've gone through and experienced, but because of what I've read in scriptures that God came down for me. And when I truly understand this, I was able to love others better. Understand the unconditional love of God. God's love for you is unconditional. In Romans 5, 8, it says, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world. He did not just love some of you. He loved the world, the whole cosmos, everything that He has created, that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall never perish but have everlasting life. 
His love is unconditional and undeserved. He loves you in spite of your disobedience, your weakness, your sin, your selfishness. He loves you enough to give you a way to the abundant eternal life. He loves you enough that He go to the cross and He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. That is our Lord Jesus Christ, the full manifestation of God's love for all of us. God is love and He show His love through Jesus. And finally, the expression of God's love is the church. Turn to your neighbor once again and say, you are the expression of God's love. Please do that. You are truly the expression of God's love. And, and if we think about us as a church, you say, we? Really? God? Because sometimes we look at ourselves and we think we are the imperfect expression of God's love. And, and it's true. God wants to show His love to the world through the church. In fact, the English, uh, the, the phrase one another is derived from the word alelon. Now, alelon is repeated about 100 times one another, repeated about 100 times. But out of the 100 times, 47 times it was repeated to be an instruction for you to do something to one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, submit to one another. But you did not say kill one another, all right? It says love one another in many phrases of the letter of John that we have read. In 1 John 1, chapter 4, 11 to 12, once again, we read this. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another, God abides in us, meaning He remains in us, He is seen in us, and His love is perfected in us. Now, when John was writing so many aspects of God's love, he was repeatedly reminding the church, you got to love one another, no matter how you feel. you got to love one another, no matter how difficult it is, because this is the expression of God's love. He wanted us to love one another. And I believe that the Apostle John took this word seriously because it was actually an instruction from Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John chapter 13, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Within two verses, Jesus repeated three times, love one another. But it's easier said than done, isn't it? Because someone says this, to live with saints in heaven is a bliss and glory, but to live with saints on earth is another story. You know what I mean. Whether it's in your family, in your work environment, in your church, in your cell group, it takes patience. And the word patience in the old English is called long-suffering. But it is out of all these relational problems that we grow to love one another. And sometimes we need to remind one another that we need to put down ourselves a bit more, look at others more. There was an interesting illustration of this uh, mother hen and rooster conversation that I thought would help us to reflect a little bit more on how to love one another. Now the mother hen was trying to go to the nest to lay eggs, but the rooster was sitting in the nest. And so the mother hen told the rooster, you don't lay eggs, why are you sitting in the nest? And the rooster says, since when this nest is meant for laying eggs only, everyone has the right to use this nest, right? Where is your authority? Where is the permit? And then the mother hen says, we need this place to lay eggs. What about you? And then the rooster says, I need this place to rest. Who said that it cannot be used as resting place? I also need rest, isn't it? The mother hen said, quick, move, move. If you, if you don't move, we will have to lay eggs on the floor and the eggs will crack. And the rooster refused to move. And the mother hen retreated somewhere else. And the rooster whispered under his breath, if I, a rooster, could not lay eggs, allow you to take this nest, what status do I have in this family? <laughs> now, you may not say this out loud, but you know I'm talking about husbands sometimes have this ego, maybe sometimes wives, I do not know. But... Within ourselves, we know that many of the things that we have done wrong and sinned against one another, it all arises from this selfish ambition within our hearts. Friends, if we truly want to love, we truly want to love one another in the way God wants us to do so, 
Let us look at other people's uh, needs more than ours. Many of our fights come from our unwillingness to let go of frustration we have inside us. First John 4, 20-21, the Apostle Paul continued to challenge the church and remind the church, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he, does, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Meaning to say in the church, we cannot say we hate anybody. As a Christian, you cannot say, I don't like this person, I hate this person, because that is not defined in the dictionary of a Christian. A Christian ought to love no matter what, no matter how frustrated you are. And so friends, there are some practical tips as a pastor I'd like to give to you and myself to remind us to sow love. Turn to your neighbor and say, sow love, not hate. <laughs> and then says this, respond, not react. Learn to respond, learn to breathe a little bit, don't react all the time because we need to learn how to respond better. Forgive easily, but don't be easily be offended. Be better, not bitter. So I think these are all good tips for us to sink into our hearts to know how to love one another better. I love what Rick Warren says. He reminded his church that the best use of life is love. That's the highest goal. The best expression of time of love is time, and the best time to love is now. And so, friends, may I encourage you as you listen through this sermon that you will, you will be intentional to want to love more. But sometimes we are so busy, and in our busyness, we get frustrated, and in our frustration, it spills out and destroys relationships. And in destroying relationships, God is also reminding us that you keep loving one another since love covers a multitude of sins. Now it's repeated not just by John, by Peter, by Paul also. And so today, loving people is also about forgiving people. Every wedding, I will remind couples uh, that when Peter wrote this, I, I believe he must be thinking there was a day when Peter was asking Jesus, Jesus, how many times should I forgive others? And Jesus says seven times because maybe in a Jewish mind, three times is, you know, bad enough. Three times is, is really good. Keep forgiving the same thing again and again three times. So Peter says seven times, perfect number. This must be awesome. Jesus would say, well done. But Jesus did not say, well done. Jesus said, you must forgive 70 times 7, which means keep forgiving, never stop forgiving. And so, part of loving one another is when you go through life, you learn to say, I'm sorry. You learn to say, I'm sorry. You know, there's a, a, a young man who wanted to get married and he turned to the father and, and said, how should I prepare myself in my marriage? And then the father say, say sorry now. I say, huh? What did I do wrong? He say, say sorry now. I say, huh? He don't understand. I say, one more time, I tell you, huh? You better say sorry now. I say, yeah, dad, I'm sorry. I say, okay, I prepared you well enough already. <laughs> now you can get married. <laughs> because in marriage, you have to say sorry all the time, right? Uh, sometimes you say, I love you, but I think you need to say, I am wrong more than I'm sorry. And, and today I want to actually share something that I'm sorry for in my own family because I think if you can love one another at home, then maybe it's easier for you to practice that outside because normally at home is when you are most impatient. And so I want to share about a time many years back, I would think about 10 years back, that I did something that I'm not proud of. I was really upset. And it started between a, a simple argument between me and my wife over the way she disciplined my daughter. And then, of course, you know, I was reading all this uh, young child commit suicide because of exam stress. So I was trying to come in, but I was coming in at the wrong context. And she got upset. I got upset. And we started kind of, it escalated into really bad argument and I, it was so bad that I decided you know what I cannot take it anymore I, I left the house you know I left the house 
just to, you know, be sane, so that I will not destroy anything in the furniture, <laughs> so that the old person can be tamed. So I left the house thinking that it was the right thing to do, but actually it triggered her. She was so upset, she also left the house. <laughs> so both of us left the house and we have three young children at home on their own and they heard all this shouting and screaming and after that, both their parents are gone. <laughs> And I didn't realize how it impacted my children until they started to share. And today, I've invited my daughter to share her part of the story just to give you an aspect of what happened that day. So can I invite Chloe to come up? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Chloe. I'm Reverend Chris' eldest daughter. Uh, at that point in time, I was about 10 years old, I think. Yeah, I was 10, my sister was 7, then my brother was about 4. Yeah, so uh, because I was only in primary school, I didn't really know what was happening. I didn't really hear them fighting at the start. So I was just enjoying my peaceful shower. Lah. Then suddenly, as I was showering, I, I wondered, why, why is everything so quiet suddenly? Why is there no sound in the house? Then when I finished showering, I, I opened the door and I was shocked because my little sister and brother were fidgeting with their hands, looking up to me with the puppy eyes and tears in their eyes and they would look like, Tete, mommy and daddy is gone. And I was shocked because I'm only 10, you know, what can I do? And I didn't believe it, I was in this denial stage. So I walked around the whole house. I walked to the kitchen. I walked to the bedroom. I walked and and I took their hands, my sister and my brother with me, and we walked around the whole house round and round until it finally dawned upon me that, hey, they are really gone. Eh. Then I didn't know what to do. So uh, we went to my brother's little bed and then we just sat there holding hands and we all cried. My brother cried, my sister cried, and I also started crying. Then I didn't I really didn't know what to do except to pray. So we held hands and started praying. And that was actually the very first time that I kind of led them in prayer. And we were all praying very earnestly, full of hope and desperation. And it was the first time that my little brother at four years old was holding his hands and like crying out to God, please, please, Papa God, please, will Daddy and Mommy come back? Please, please, please. So we prayed and minutes turned to hours, one hour, two hours. And we were just staying there crying, starting to lose hope. Until suddenly we heard the sound of a key, cling, 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 and then we heard footsteps at the door. So we were all very excited. We jumped off the bed, quickly ran to the door, and we were all full of anticipation and hope. And we saw our father, our dad. But when we saw his face, my, my heart dropped, like it literally dropped, because his face was like this. He was frowning. He was so angry. He just stormed into the house. And then he asked, Where's mommy? Where's mommy? Because he realized that my mom was gone also. So he got even more upset. And I don't remember exactly what happened, but I just remember he took us on a car. He, we drove to somewhere. I don't even know where. So I remember this incident because I was driving really fast. And, uh, and I actually crossed a red light with the camera, you know, on. And so I was given a fine and a demerit points of 12. <laughs> so I always remember this story. <laughs> I was upset and, and I was emotional. I came back. My wife told me that, actually, I, I went around my estate and I walked for a few hours around my estate. In fact, my wife said that she saw me. She was sitting at the bus stop for a few hours. And I walked past her, didn't realize that she was there. <laughs> so I was so upset. You know, walking like this and, and just feeling myself with anger. Couldn't let go. Didn't know how to let go. When I came back, I was still upset. Until much later, you know, when all our emotions are down, that can't, we are calmed down already and my wife returned. We apologized, we repented, we said sorry to one another, we make peace with one another. 
then we started to talk to one another. And that was when we heard the children's story. Yeah. But of course, out of that, that, you know, difficult portion, I think God's grace was there. The good thing that came out of it that they, was that they learned how to pray earnestly. <laughs> yeah, it was the first time. And I think because uh, we were all so full of emotions, and I think because... Uh, both of my parents were so upset at, at that point in time that they didn't even realize that it hurt me and my siblings so badly. So it actually affected my whole life from that day onwards, lah. But when we start to talk about it, when we that's talk new, about, uh. <laughs> no, but when we start to talk about it, that's when things started to change, lah. So I'm very thankful that when we start to have more open conversations, then we can. Uh, understand each other better. Yeah, and, so actually, yeah. what happened was that when we heard the story, we went to our children, and then we apologized. Yeah. And then we said this: uh, we will never do this again. We will never, out of our own frustration, leave you, abandon you, and then we said sorry to our children. And I think from then onwards, we yeah, I have it never, never happened again. Very, yeah. yeah, it never happened again. <laughs> now. We want you to know and we want you to share, share we want to share with you because we we are all humans <laughs> we're in this together and I think if we can learn to love one another at home to be real to apply the word of God in our own family and also in our church in our cell group to confess our sins to one another to to bear with one another to submit to one another I think the love of God can be shown and expressed in and through your family Thank you. Thank you, Chloe. And so today, as we close the session, I hope today you are not just uh, encouraged by our vulnerability, us being authentic, but you are encouraged by the word that reminds us that God is love, that the full manifestation of God's love is found in Christ, and that we are supposed to express that love to love one another. And so in this series, we learn to be grounded in the Word and the Spirit. We learn to be grounded in the cross of suffering. We learn to be grounded to become people who do good works. But all this can only happen when we are grounded in God's love. Because all of us are familiar with the verse that says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come but you may have forgotten to read verses 18 and 19 because it says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 19, it says that that is in Christ. God was reconciling us to the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And so there's no greater love than the cross. That the cross draws us to God. That God was using Jesus Christ Himself to reconcile us to Him and for us to be reconciled with one another. And so as we close, this is the message. This is the mandate. This is also the mission of the church. Shall we stand? So before we go off from here, let us respond with this song. And I know that this morning, maybe some of you have come here as a guest. Maybe you do not know Jesus Christ. And if you want to know Jesus Christ, you want to experience His love, later we will give you a chance to respond to His love. Let us use this song to respond to God's love. Nothing that you 
raise our hands and receive God's love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Papa God. presence of God is here. Send His love over all of us. Maybe some of us need need a touch from God right now. If that's you, can I invite you to just raise your hands up to the Lord? Just raise your hands. Thank you, Lord. So many of you are raising your hands up to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that, Lord, your presence, your love, Lord, will overwhelm us so much in and through us that we will not only experience your love, but we will pour out your love unto others. Even those that we may struggle to love. Because Lord, we know it is not about us. It is about you. It is about how much you have done for us. It is about how much you have laid down your life for us. So align our hearts, keep our vision on the cross so that Lord, we will always live a life that is Christ-centered and leave a legacy for others. Thank you, Lord. As we go, Lord, I ask for your blessing over us, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen, amen. Let's give glory to God. Praise to Jesus. If you still need prayer, please come forward. We have our pastors here to pray for you. If not, do... Uh, stay around for a coffee and some fellowship. <laughs>